0: Hi everybody. Hi guys. <laughs> um, hi Alan. Hey John. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I was we were just we were talking upstairs a bit. Um, that was a lovely introduction, by the way, so you know everything you need to know about both of us. So you most of you can probably just leave. <laughs> yeah. because uh, it's gonna get wonky and we're gonna talk about TV for a while. Um, which is exciting. And and I was talking with Alan upstairs a little bit, uh, and and you can probably say exactly what you said to me up there but we were talking about what a great time it is to be alive <laughs> if you like television yeah. <laughs> very important caveat yes um, and and as some of you may or may not know this is my local bookstore um, and Alan has been uh, a friend of mine for fifth, 10 years when, so? whenever Mad Men started ten, ten, about 10 years um and the kind of journey that we both have taken over the last 10 years, Alan as a critic and myself as an actor, uh, are owe a significant debt to basically this one show and, and what happened and how it yeah. sort of changed television. I don't want to say that, but like how television changed around it. Yeah. Um, and the uh, sort of growth industry of television writing uh, has become... Uh, enormous, and it's and it's uh, again, if you're a fan of television you get to read what really smart people think about some pretty cool stuff, and it's everywhere now, I was telling Alan I was driving down Sunset the other day and there's that whole kind of canyon that's all billboards and outdoor advertising that used to be movies, you used to watch say, oh, that's coming out, okay cool I like them, or wow, that guy's still alive Um <laughs> And now it's all television shows. And And very few of them are on uh, even networks.
1: Yeah, no, and uh, pretty much all of that can be pinned to you and a handful of other people. You're welcome.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Um, But so talk a little
0: bit about, or or tell me a little bit about, and what we were talking about there, like how how has it changed and where is it going, do you think?
1: All right, so I've been doing this um, since 1996. That's a long time now. And when I started, there were like five broadcast networks. No, six. There was UPN and the WB, neither of which exists anymore. (laughs) PBS did a couple shows. There was not... Other than like Larry Sanders, there were no cable shows at the time. So it was like... You know, ER was sort of the highest that TV could aspire to, and ER was a really good show, Mm -hmm. but, you know, in terms of the level of artistry of a Mad Men or a Breaking Bad or some of the other things we've seen now, it just, it wasn't allowed to do things like that, because it was aiming for a bigger audience. And then the the TV audience kind of kept fracturing and fracturing, and you had HBO and then FX and then AMC all coming in and saying, "Well, we don't. We're not going to worry as much about getting the biggest audience possible. We're just going to make the best show possible and hope enough people come in to make it profitable for us." And and they did. Yes, and so you know, first you had The Sopranos. Then, you know, a few other HBO shows. Then you had The Shield on FX, which showed that HBO wasn't the only one who could do this. Anyone with sort of the right uh, talent involved and the right commitment to it, they could make their own Sopranos, more or less. And then AMC came in with this show about advertising and like who wants to watch a show about advertising
0: well 30 something you guys <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right touche Tom um, touche well
0: yeah and and you know f- for a long time and you you probably know this as well but the the that was considered a terrible idea to make a show about making a show or make a show about advertising because there's no stakes uh you're not a doctor you're not a cop you're not a lawyer no yep. one's going to die no one's going to if the, if, the, if the life campaign doesn't work, no one's going to die. Just people will eat less cereal. <laughs> um, so, so there was there was thought that that's an impossible thing to get people to come watch. Yeah. Uh, and then you know we had uh, and 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 in fact in the story of Mad Men, which which I, I think was in your previous book. Yes. Um, but was 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 shopped around and nobody wanted it. Uh, and Matt. Weiner famously wrote the script and it, it, over a series of, of years yeah. and it sat around because everyone was like it's
1: never going to work. He was writing on staff at The Sopranos and HBO didn't want it. Yeah, uh, and, and, we, and we were incredibly
0: fortunate we got it made on a, basically on a shoestring during the hiatus between the last two seasons of The Sopranos Yeah, um, because Matt was still writing on The Sopranos and, uh, and this thing came out that no one knew what to do with uh, it was produced by AMC Networks and a company called Radical Media, which was an advertising agency, um, who then didn't want to put forth the financing to do it, and then Lionsgate bought it. And again, no one wanted to buy it. Lionsgate came in at the last minute, and we're like, well, I guess we'll take it, we'll see what happens. Um, but again, this is in a landscape that's un- was then unproven. Yeah, And now they're giving 14-episode orders to kids right out of college that had an idea and, a, and, and a, have a, you know, a two-camera setup.
1: Yeah, I mean, you came on, it was the Wild West. Um, the Sopranos had ended a month before, and The Wire was wrapping up, and Six Feet Under was gone, and a lot of sort of the early 2000s trailblazing shows that I wrote about in The Revolution was televised were done, and it's like, oh, well maybe this was just an anomaly in TV history, and things will go back to the way they were, and, you know, like complicated characters you can't do, and it's just like, at worst, someone will be, you know, what's the line from Network? Crusty but benign? <laughs> You can, you know, you can have That's my nickname ed- in high school. Yes, <laughs> you can have edge, but only so much. And then along comes Don Draper, who is, you know, looks like Gary Cooper, but you know is complicated like Tony Soprano. And you know, Don is not really a good guy, but the audience loved that show. And that then made room for AMC to also do Breaking Bad, sure. another show that was passed yes, on by FX, several people. They talked about it today at, at the TV Critics press where I was at. They like FX just didn't want to do another male anti-hero show, and so they passed on it. And it wound up elsewhere. And suddenly, what they... happened though? <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> I haven't seen the show. <laughs> no, it's excellent. See Walter White. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah and I've seen it. I was kidding. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a. Uh, it's it. It really is the wild west now and and talk a little bit about just you were just here at tca for what's it like there now because it's got to be just like here's 150 new things that we expect you to watch and
1: good luck it's almost oppressive like it's really like it used to be a very manageable job you could have one person at a newspaper back when there were still newspapers covering the tv beat and you could keep track of pretty much everything even shows i didn't like that much i would watch a handful of episodes a year just on the off chance that's suddenly they would do something good. And now it's just, there's no time to keep up with all of the shows that I like. You know, there were over, I think, 500 original scripted shows in primetime in 2016. (laughs) And so I'm getting ready for, for TCA, which is the, the Television Critics Association press tour event where I first met this guy. And in, in the run-up to it, we keep getting these emails because almost no one sends DVD screeners anymore except, ironically, Amazon, which is a streaming service. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everyone else, it's just like they send you an email with a link. And so I started keeping tabs. And just over the course of December, as we're getting ready to come out here, I just kept running tab of a number of episodes of television I was being given to watch for the month of January and into February and just a handful of other things for TCA, and it was over 200 episodes of TV just to, like, prep for this event. And so I would just sort of, like, cross things off and cross things off, and they're giving us full seasons of things, and, you know... And then the worst is when you like something, because then you, you know... They sent me 13 episodes of the new One Day at a Time on Netflix. I figure I'll watch two episodes of it and move on. I watched all 13 because it was so good. And then you're frustrated because you don't have time for 17 other things. It's, yeah,
0: you're you're behind in your yes. queue, so to speak.
1: You know, it should never be a good thing when you're slightly relieved something's bad. <laughs> <laughs> like I, because that that's not good for the job. But I mean, Andy Greenwald here, is here in the front row. You felt that, haven't you, Andy? It's, it's too much. Yes, it's it's way too much. And so something's like, oh, this show isn't. Good. Oh well, that's that's one less thing I have to set the DVR for.
0: Cross it off and moving on. Exactly. Um, So, where do you think it's going then? Because it's it seems to we've reached critical mass. Yeah. Peak television, as the phrase goes. But like, they're not going to stop making it. Uh, and there's going to be more streaming services, yep. and it's it's never been easier to watch TV because yep. we can watch it in our on our phones in our pockets while we drive. Yep. Please don't do that anymore. <laughs> I've seen like four people do that. And it's <laughs> raining out there, yep. and it's very dangerous. Um, but it's it's never been e- it's never been easier. But it's never been more impossible in, in, a, yeah. in, in, in the ways that you dis- well, no, describe.
1: You know, we, uh, at at Uproxx, we do this television critics poll and we cr- cr- ask about 50 or 60 TV critics around the country like give us your 10 best shows of the year and your 10 best new shows and we'll add them up and we'll see what the critical consensus is and I start looking at the ballots there are shows I haven't heard of. And it's my job to watch TV. So, you know, I feel for the people who are like just trying to find good stuff, or worse, the people who are doing good stuff and nobody can find it.
0: Right, because it's just buried under an avalanche of other things.
1: But it really like, if you Stranger look. Stranger things, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at like what AMC was before you. It was the second rate, like classic movie channel that nobody liked because they had commercial interruptions yeah. their library wasn't as good as TCM.
0: Right. It was what you watched when you didn't have TCM. Yes,
1: or you just needed to watch The Godfather for five minutes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> then along yeah, before the commercial interruption. <laughs> then along comes Don Draper and suddenly, you know, they're one of the high class places on TV. And like you put that channel on the map. And, you know, the Shield put FX on the map. And that's the thing now. It's like, as people are trying to get noticed, whether it's a channel or a streaming service or, like, a video game console that's starting its own entertainment network, which is a thing that's happening. Like PlayStation
0: Network? What is it? Yeah,
1: PlayStation Network. They did, uh, I think, Powers, which was a comic book show. Um, Wow. Yeah. And it's just like, that's the way you get noticed, is you do a show and, like... In theory, people like me write good enough things about it that someone says, oh, I have to get a PlayStation or I have to subscribe to Amazon to watch Transparent or right. you know, I have to make sure my cable system has Sundance so I can watch Rectify.
0: Right. Well, it, it talk a little bit about the, the kind of arrival and then explosion of, of, of blog culture as well. Yeah. And what happened... Um, and I—that's another way that Alan and I got to know one another—is I would read his blog, uh, not only on my show because I'm a horrible narcissist, <laughs> uh, but on all the other shows that I liked because I kind of wanted to have what we used to call like water cooler discussions, yep. and it became the the like the, a check-in, like what's what did Alan think? Yep. And you would read the thing, and then you'd read the comments, and and. Like Unlike most comment sections It was a mostly civilized place Where people had yeah. hilari- often hilarious discussions
1: And they were usually smarter than me And figured out stuff often, I and, and often,
0: yeah And the great thing about doing it for my own show Is that I knew what was going to happen And watching people try to kind of guess and figure it out yep. And very few people getting it But yeah. there, a lot of people having cool ideas Yeah,
1: yeah, Don's Jewish That sort of thing <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I remember that one, that one had a lot of That uh, had legs That one had legs, yeah <laughs> and the certainty the internet certainty is my favorite thing like no he's a Jew yeah yeah
1: fatty 69 says it so yeah, internet fan theories are, are the worst. <laughs> and what's bad is right now we got a number of shows that basically like live to feed internet fan theories. So, Well, sure. Be, so it emboldens it emboldens everyone to think of like a TV show as a puzzle to be solved when right. that's not in theory the way you should be watching. Well, well it's it's a way to it's watch. It's a it. way. It's just um, it's not my favorite way, certainly. But uh talk about having that kind of
0: i don 't want to say it 's like a secondary career other than being a television career, but now you 're sort of like a blog star blog presence uh, and is that do, do those are those things now kind of uh, inseparable in some way.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I had started. Uh, some of you probably know the story, but it was, I was in college when NYPD Blue was on. That was a great ABC cop show in the '90s with Dennis Franz and Jimmy Smith. Holds up, by the way. It does. First, Still very good. I
0: watched. Name. I watched an episode in preparation for this. Not at all. I was lazy. <laughs> it was on like the Audience Network or yeah. something. Uh, Heroes
1: and villains. I think. Whatever. Maybe that called. was it. Oh, and yeah. it
0: was. Unbelievably good. The writing was unbelievably good. Yeah, like David uh, Milton Bocchio, right?
1: Yeah, Milton Bochco. Uh,
0: it was. Check it well. out if you haven't seen it. It's worth it. NYPD, NYPD Blue.
1: Blue. So Dennis obs- Franz, Jimmy Smiths. Yeah. So I'm obsessed with this show. I'm a college sophomore in West Philadelphia. It's not really like the speed of the average undergrad at Penn, and so like I couldn't find anybody to talk about it with me. But there was this thing called the internet and we had like just all gotten email accounts uh, and I went on what Usenet which was the old version of like online message boards where I met my friend Des who's sitting in the second row there and like I had to go there to find people who cared about the stuff I did and one night someone said hey I miss this week's episode of NYPD Blue what happened? and I wrote like a little recap of it in the middle of the night because I didn't want to study for finals and like, people said that was awesome and these were people most of whom had seen the episode already they just liked hearing about it again and I said hmm that's interesting and I did it the next week and the next and I kept doing it and that's eventually how I got my job at the Star Ledger uh, and then I went away from it for a while and I was a, a traditional newspaper TV columnist and I would review things before they debuted but we were the hometown paper of the Sopranos and so there was always a demand for us To write about that show, and eventually, after a while, I would start when a character died or when they did something big. I would say, "All right, I'm going to come in and Monday morning, I'll write a column for the Tuesday paper about what just happened last night." And those always got such a bigger reaction than anything I wrote about a show before it premiered, even if it was a returning show that people loved that was huge. And like people like to talk about the stuff they've already seen, and so finally, in like 2005. Um, I was just bored one day and I said, I'm going to go back to doing what I did in college and I'll start up a blog, which was a thing that now had a name. And so I basically, like you said, it was a second job that nobody was paying me to do Mm -hmm. that was eating up at least as much time as the newspaper column. And I started doing it and eventually the two merged.
0: Well, and you had, I guess, this... this Amazing generation of, of writers that you were sort of at the forefront too. Between you and Maureen Ryan and uh, Tim Goodman and Matt Solarzitz and like all these and James Poniewozik, like all these yeah. guys that are g- guys, <laughs> guys and girls, whatever you know, um, people yes. who who really started digging in yeah. to kind of theory about about television yeah. and television criticism and
1: writing about it in lots of different ways. So you know, Poniewozik you know can write about sort of the, the political right. meaning of something in a way that I really can't and I can get it really like the nuts and bolts of why this worked and why this didn't and really like with Mad Men go into theme and things like that and really dig deep and so there's just what was discovered was there's so many different ways to write about television and a lot of my favorite writers these days are people who write in a way that I never could and look at it through a lens that I just can't and it's so exciting and
0: and you're you're I think it. I think this sort of rising tide has lifted all boats, and in yep. many ways, we talked about it a little bit upstairs. But in many ways, we have this kind of strange inversion of the television and the film worlds, yep. where film is pretty much at this point about repurposing intellectual property to make something into a franchise, like Winnie the Pooh, but it's an action series. <laughs> he's, or, got you know, a you know, he's got a. Yeah, he's like angry Winnie, <laughs> or you know, like, someone's going to make this movie. I guarantee you. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but the, the, that that. That machine has kind of turned into what used to be like network television. Yep. Like, reached the most, money's no object, and and released the the broadest version of it. Yeah. And what happened in, you know, in the 70s in the film, where where film was considered to be, like, cool and artsy and edgy, and you could do things that were weird, and off off the, that's TV now. Yep. And the writers are writing about The cool things and the interesting things, and that's TV now. You told a story about somebody who who went from.
1: All right, so Graham Yost, he he did the show called Justified on FX that ended a couple years ago. Graham Yost, he started out writing for Nickelodeon sitcoms and for Full House. (laughs) Like, I think he wrote for Hey Dude uh, in the 90s. And then he goes and he writes the screenplay for Speed and a couple of other really high profile movies, and suddenly he's a big movie star guy. And all of his old sitcom writer friends would come to visit him at his new office and say, Graham tell us what it's like in the movies Graham is it you know you really get to tell stories don't you then ten years later he's, at, he's done some HBO miniseries and he's finally at FX and he's doing Justified and now all of his screenwriter friends are saying Graham, tell us what it's like in TV where you really get to write about characters and tell stories for grown-ups and it's just, it's <laughs> like with, within five or six years it completely flipped. It,
0: it, the, the, total, the total inversion of that I think is, is really fascinating and I think you're starting to see it even from, from my side of the business too um, the talent side <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: it's (laughs) okay you can say you're the
0: talent you are where you have you know Julia Roberts doing a television show and you know people we considered you know the, the whole point back in the old days was just to get Maybe get on TV, so then you could be in movies. Yep. And now it's like just get on TV—that's like that's where you want to be.
1: And there was this transitional period where people like Glenn Close would start doing it, and we would say we would say to them when they would do these TCA press conferences, "Why are you doing TV? You're a movie star." And now that's pretty much gone away. Like they, they don't even sort of ask the perfunctory version of it. Right. It's just assumed TV's awesome.
0: And and for the most part, it is. And it's and it's and it's again from my my side of it, it's it's the idea of getting to do something that isn't going to be um sort of marketed before it's released into these tiny little segments and it has to be a four quadrant appeal and it has to have all this stuff and they they come to a, a writer or creator or somebody and say what's your idea let's do it yep. and they're, they're, there's one there's one meeting generally yeah. like okay you want to do what we want to do hire the best people and let's go make it yep. and let's get it out in front of in front of as many people as we can. And what ended up happening too, I think, is that you mentioned it briefly, but the idea of generating revenue was it it became a different, there was a different model in some way. Because it used to be the most eyeballs wins. Yes, There was one number, the Nielsen number, that's the thing. And that that metric doesn't work anymore. Because we don't watch it in the same way anymore. So like
1: at your old home base at AMC, they've got a show called Halt and Catch Fire, which is about the dawn of the the computer age. Nobody watches it. It is the lowest rated show in the history of AMC. It's one of the least watched shows in the history of television. It's going to run four seasons because AMC owns the show, and therefore they can make a lot of money selling it to Netflix and other places. And sort of like that's the new... It's not so much about the initial run; it's about owning something and having it in a library so you can make money off of it forever.
0: Yeah, it's creating content and owning the content and and, and all of that. And what also ended up happening, and I read an article about this. It's funny you talk about like the beginnings of the show and and of Mad Men and and watching what what we used to have like boner pills and like that headache stuff that you put on your forehead directly on the forehead. <laughs> um, those were our ads, the first season of Mad Men. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the ex- weird extends guy who's super happy and you're like, what are you eating uh and then the second uh season <clears throat> second season it was Heineken and mercedes Benz, by the last it w- season
1: it's all ads narrated by you, and then yeah right.
0: <laughs> no, it's maybe go to h and r block if you have a chance. <laughs> I don't know, get your taxes won um. So that started happening, and, and, and again, you know, we were, we were being told that the, we were hemorrhaging money and we were losing money. We had to cut our everything and blah, yeah. blah, blah. But there, an article came out about how the new kind of paradigm on what advertisers are willing to pay, yeah. and because of DVRs and because of uh, another thing that didn't exist back in the old yes. blog writing days, uh, because of the internet... this Nielsen number was getting less and less relevant. And what what took its place was this thing called uh, a CPI or something, a Cultural Penetration Index. Publicists came up with this, which if you don't know what Publicists is, it's a massive conglomeration of massive advertising agencies. Um, And they do wonderful work. (laughs) Um, But they came up with this new metric. And season two or three um, of our show which was very low rated, never got the big numbers, the big things. Our CPI was second in the country to American Idol. <laughs> so it went to make like American Idol mad men. <laughs> and, and you know 30 million people a week watched American Idol yeah. and two million watched ours. But people talked about it in the same way. yeah, And that became the new currency. And I think we have you to thank for that. Not exclusively, yes, don't yeah. get me wrong. I don't, I'm not
1: gonna get a big head. Or here. blame, whatever. No, but and also just like again, it put AMC on the map. I mean, the original idea for the, doing the show was they needed an excuse. They needed a show that would keep, that would make customers complain to the cable company if the cable company tried to drop AMC. Right. And so once they had you, they were sort of invulnerable, and it gave them freedom to do lots of other things. And now they have The Walking Dead,
0: another show they own.
1: Yes, Lock, Stock, and they make a lot of money off of that. They
0: certainly do. They they told us all about that. <laughs> Um, looking toward the future, what what do you think? What do you think is coming? Like, what's? I, I, I talked about it a little bit before, but like, it, it, are we gonna have? Is it gonna crash and burn? Are we gonna?
1: It seems like it's unsustainable. It just seems because again, there's too many shows. When even I can't keep track of all the things that exist, something has gone awry. But at the same time, like everyone keeps rushing into the business, and they need these shows to get noticed in the first place. So. I don't know. At a certain point, it feels like the bubble has to deflate at least a little bit. Sure. But, you know, Netflix alone keeps, like, producing 80 shows, 90 shows a year, so... Well,
0: what... So I'll put it to you this way. What do you hope? What do you hope it looks like in the future?
1: Um, I I mean, just selfishly, I hope it's a little bit more manageable. (laughs) But that's entirely selfish, because one of the great things now is that, like there's a perfect show for everyone out there if you in this group right now do like can't find a show that you love you're not looking hard enough because there's something for like every taste and everything but what I want to see is maybe like right now we're in a peri- like a transitional period, thanks to the streaming networks, where you hear a lot of talk of like, oh, we're not making a TV show, we're making a ten-hour movie, we're making right. a thirteen-hour movie, uh, which like if you actually were to sit in a theater and watch a ten-hour movie, that's kind of terrible. That's <laughs> right. No. That's not a sustainable thing. So people are like they're figuring out how to tell stories in this way where it's going to be binged over a weekend and how to structure it, and nobody quite had. N- not enough people have licked that yet, and so I want to see a little bit more quality control there.
0: Gotcha. Um, speaking of quality, sure. Let's share with some of the people here some of your favorites of the last television season.
1: Okay. We um, can talk
0: about the one we talked about upstairs, which is both of our favorite. One of our. Oh b- yes.
1: All right. So there's a show on Amazon. It's a UK import called Fleabag.
0: So good.
1: Yes. So good. Yeah. So Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a young British actress and playwright. She did this as like a play in a fringe festival. And someone saw it and said, all right, you know, you're going to make it for the BBC now. And it's, it starts off, it's basically like, you think, oh, it's British girls. It's like a sex farce about a young woman who sort of can't, like, control all her worst impulses. And then
0: it gets weird. <laughs>
1: And In beautiful too, and dark, and like you'll cry by the end of it. It's it's, it's
0: seriously a, a it's it was a for me it was a revelation. I was really really sh- so pleasantly surprised and shocked. And again, a show that would have never been on television yep. ten, ten years ago, yeah, even or what is is Amazon Television?
1: Amazon, what? I can I watch Amazon on my TV.
0: So Most do television, I, but yeah, okay, there you go. Uh, all right, uh, uh, what's another one?
1: Let's see, Atlanta, the Donald Glover FX show.
0: Congratulations, Great. multiple Golden Globe winning Donald Glover.
1: <laughs> Donald Glover, or like today, the FX announced that like Atlanta won't even be back this year because he's off playing Lando Calrissian. So Donald Glover, in one season of TV, now has the Louis CK, Larry David. You'll continue your show whenever you feel like yeah. it, deal, which is yeah. pretty sweet.
0: Um, that's there's that's an interesting topic. I think we can touch on a little bit too because when you look at what. Um, someone like Donald has done or Aziz in some ways what this expanding landscape has provided are voices for people who previously have not really been represented much not only in televised culture but culture in general other than on the sort of specialty uh, networks or, yeah. or channels or I whatever. Mean,
1: if, if you look at something like Transparent, which is a show about a, a, a transgender woman, you know, it's a show
0: about a transparent. Yes. Okay.
1: <laughs> it's a play on words. I, I think
0: thing. I might have just gotten that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jeffrey Tambor on that show plays a character that 10 years ago would have been, like, a guest star in an episode about how, like... A very special episode. Yeah, the cis-hetero, like, hero of the show comes to grips with the fact that their friend is transitioning. And 10 years before that, it would have just been a joke. And now it's, like, it's told from her point of view, very sensitively, very thoughtfully... You know, you, I mean, Orange is the New Black alone has like fifty kinds of characters you hadn't seen on TV before. Yeah,
0: and I think that that's another example of of, of the rising tide kind of lifting all boats. And yeah. it's um, there's probably an argument to be made about how that's uh, been shown in our current political climate but I will leave that for another conversation again
1: it's a good time to be alive if you like TV <laughs> if
0: you like TV don't go outside at all just and stay only, in and, and only watch, watch certain
1: kinds of TV stay away from the news channels <laughs> Yeah,
0: which in many ways have become more fictional than television it's kind of awesome how we got here
1: that said yes, um, another new show I like a relatively new show Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt <laughs> aww I'm in that one. <laughs> you, I, I did the math on the way over here. You are in between the, the shows in the top 100 and shows mentioned elsewhere. You appeared at least once in eight different shows in TV The Book. Eight <laughs> percent. A gentleman's a, F. <laughs> including an episode of Gilmore Girls where it's just yes. about how boring you are. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Lorelai was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> offered her tickets to a David Bowie concert she said no oh boy if, only known. if she only knew um, well should we open it up to these nice people so they can, they can ask you questions or do you? I don't know.
1: do you do you guys have questions
0: uh, All right. there's a, a question
1: it so how do you decide or who decides what you write about
0: do you get to choose does somebody else choose
1: it's mostly me choosing I've been doing this long enough and am sort of a held on high enough esteem by my employers that they trust my taste and trust that I know like if I'm interested in writing about it my, my readers are going to be interested in reading about it which is good because I rem- like earlier in my career at the newspaper it's like there would always be an editor not even from the feature section who would ha- like come in and say I just saw this you know this ice ice road trucker show I want Alan to write about that that's that's going to be big and it was a big hit it's just not the kind of thing I was into so it's nice to be able to pick and choose
0: what do you got against ice road truckers man
1: I have nothing against ice road truckers sounds like
0: you got something against ice road truckers
1: <laughs> um, yes Social media changed the landscape of your job. Uh, it's changed it a lot, both because like I'm more readily able to communicate with people. You know, um, you know, when I was just a newspaper columnist, I would occasionally get like a handwritten letter from someone who liked something I had done, and now it's the feedback is instant. Plus, it's just it's much easier to interact with the people making the shows and being on the shows, and sometimes that can be negative if like you're saying something bad about their show. There are certain creators who. Maybe once liked me and now don't, and maybe blocked me on Twitter, and that's just that's just the way that's the way they roll, and that's okay.
0: Uh, yeah, is it, is it uh, does the does the good outweigh the bad, and does, does it become? does having that kind of access or having that kind of uh, feedback become uh, overwhelming or, or distracting?
1: It's it's not distracting. In a way, it's been kind of good. And it's gone sort of hand in hand with just me getting older. Because one of the things when you're a young critic, your favorite thing in the world to do is just to write like the scathing, you know, sure. I'm going to rip the shit out of this show. How dare it be? How dare you be bad? I'm <laughs> going to just make fun of you for 800 words. And like that's, that's sort of juvenile, I think. And so as you Grow up, but also as you start interacting with the people making the show, like you put brakes on that, and it's you, it doesn't make you be more positive about a thing you don't like, but it makes you be negative in a less obnoxious way.
0: Mm-hmm. Nicer,
1: yes, you gotten nicer,
0: yes, mm-hmm. more mature. Nice, um, yes. What did you learn about writing or about television from
1: co writing
0: a book with Solar Lights?
1: Um, it was just Matt and I worked together at the Star Ledger for 10 years Um, he was there before I arrived and we worked together and we were great partners and one of the reasons we did this book was just as an excuse to get together again Matt's a better writer than me He, he would dispute that but he's a better writer than I am just in terms of like pure prose styling and so it was always so exciting like when I when we had a Google Doc that we shared as we were working on the book and suddenly I would open it up one day and suddenly you know there's a thousand words on the Larry Sanders show by Matt and I'm reading it going oh my god like I love what he says about it. There's an essay towards the back of the book about the good wife where in one paragraph he made me understand the Juliana Margulies character much better than I ever had over like seven seasons of watching it. So She
0: was a really good wife. <laughs>
1: She was right? she was okay. Yeah, she was good at other things. Yeah, I, saw,
0: I saw the show. She's yeah, a really good wife.
1: So it was just it was fun to read his thoughts and to see sort of the way he was writing. It was it was great. Des. So, if you had written the book with Matt. How much higher up would you have placed H on your? Okay, how much? Des and I met on a homicide list serve um, in the nineties. <laughs> that's how far back we go. Um, which we called the box, which was the name of the interrogation room on that show. Uh, I mean, I, I think we both liked Homicide a lot. I don't if I, if you were to look in the index, I don't think his score is appreciably different than mine. So that finished somewhere in the top thirty, thirty-five or so, and that's probably where it would have been anyway. So that's a really good one good to show. talk about when you talk about
0: network shows that tried really hard yeah. to do something different and how hard it was to do anything different yeah. and, and that was an incredibly talented group of people that worked you know, on that Andre
1: show Brower and it was like based on a book by David Simon who wrote for the show later Tom and Fontana I mean these were all yeah.
0: huge uh uh I can't remember all of the producers on that but there were there was
1: a Barry Levinson
0: wildly wildly talented group of yep. people. And, and if you and, watch the first And the show is it holds up tremendously another one we're going to we we're going to send you all away with a bunch of uh, reading we're going to meet back here in a week. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but no but I mean one of the, one of the reasons we wrote the book was also because people tell us all the time like what what do I want to watch? How can I find something? And like because you have access to most of the greatest shows ever made at a push of a button, we're like here here's here take this book this. and you can find something. Yeah. But with Homicide it was interesting because like for the first thirteen episodes or so of that show that's about as good as network television drama has ever been and then slowly but surely like NBC kind of chipped away at what made it special in order to try to make it more successful and it never really worked and it was never a big hit but it was always sort of more generic and prettier. Yeah, it
0: became a camel designed by committee yeah, or whatever so, they yeah. say, a horse by And committee. suddenly
1: like there's helicopter chases and you know, um, you know, Clark Johnson's partner. Keep par- going. <laughs> Clark Johnson's partner is now a former beauty queen, things like that. Sure. So... Um talk a little
0: more about about in the social media aspect, do you think uh social media and, and the inner and the and the direct communication with exactly. on both sides of the, from the viewer to the creator do you think like this idea of sort of fan service has been has been it can, uh, it
1: can be tough i think I've certainly have interacted with showrunners who said like I made a mistake, I was responding too much to Sometimes something that I had written, or just something they were seeing on Twitter or whatever, like literally a creator has blamed me for killing off a character on the show who was beloved by the audience who I didn't like, so um but yeah, like
0: so it's almost like twitter has uh, has, has taken the place of sort of weird network notes exactly that. but
1: like okay, so. Matt Weiner, I'm assuming, was never on Twitter.
0: I don't think so. And yeah. thank God.
1: Yeah, so so Matt, the, Matt, David Chase, a few other like of the, the creators of the great shows really shun all of that stuff and are just, I'm going to do what I want to do yes. because I have uh, a creative compass and I trust it and I don't want to hear what anybody else has to say. But then there are others who are out there and really listening. And sometimes that can be useful. Sometimes, like, if you're doing something wrong, like if you think you're tell- like this character is sympathetic and everyone hates them, that can be useful feedback. If you think this is a mystery and everyone's figured it out already, that can be useful feedback for the most part I kind of tend to I don't like creativity by committee. I want a show sure. made by someone and they know what they're doing. And some, Sometimes it's just going to be a mess and that's the, the price of it. Well and no
0: one sets out to make bad television. Yeah, no, one's, uh, no one puts pen to paper or stares at an empty screen and goes you know what I'm going to make a terrible TV show. <laughs> Average and boring and dumb that no one's going to like. I mean everyone's like no this is going to be great. It's going to be great.
1: Yeah. This is going to be a show about two guys who cross dress to get jobs as farmer girls because of the man session. It's <laughs> going to be awesome Amazing. this was an actual show
0: it was called bosom buddies
1: no work it Oh, bosom buddies they were cross dressing because they needed a rent control department because that's what you do yes
0: when life brings you rental issues yes you make an incredibly difficult
1: lifestyle choice a piece to of, solve them a piece of IP soon to be turned into an action movie or a musical yes
0: again two ideas that will probably be pitched tomorrow morning somewhere <laughs> Yes.
1: Uh, Can you talk about how nothing really
0: dies or at least everything comes back?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a a definite thing that really changed. Like, there was a long time where I would always sort of, a show got cancelled, a beloved show, and I would get all these emails and calls and things saying, you know, can we bring it back? Can we bring it back? And I would say, no, it's not coming back. That's just not, not the way it works. Now everything comes back. Because one of the ways in which people are dealing with the glut of, the crippling amount of choice is you come up with a familiar brand, or ideally a familiar brand with the familiar people involved. So you get a little Gilmore Girls revival, or Fuller House, or X Files, or you know, next sometime this year, Twin Peaks, and you know, hopefully that's that becomes easier for someone who's struggling to find something to watch to say, oh, I know that, you know, I, I remember, you know, DJ Tanner, and I'm gonna go over there now. <laughs> so, but it's it's hard, I think.
0: Well, even the, idea of, even the idea of getting a television show canceled, and that having and that being the end of the line—like yes. I remember that was like the world's worst thing that you could ever hear as yep. a as an actor or a writer or a producer—is like you're canceled because it means you're done. Good. Now it means. Well, probably if if it was good enough or people, enough people liked it, or people will send light bulbs yeah. in. Friday Night Lights can go from NBC to the Directv. Yep. And Longmire can go from you know XYZ to CBS. Yeah, Community
1: can go to Yahoo Screen for a season, and then ultimately be responsible for the utter failure of all of Yahoo Screen. So <laughs> weird weird things happen sometimes, but all I know is I want the Deadwood movies to happen, and yeah, we're still waiting like now. Um, well, we right. have the
0: first one. We're going to show.
1: Okay. All right. Ten you know. okay. Ten years from now, um AMC calls you up, says we want to do like, you know, 80s the, the actual 80s Don Draper, mm-hmm. not the Twitter feed.
0: <laughs> what do you say? I say no, thank you. <laughs> That's a very smart choice. Yeah, I mean I think I think it's also um it's 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 an interesting thing. And and Matt Weiner would talk about it when he talked about Man Men. He says, I want this to have an ending. I want yeah. this to end. Yeah. Um because like every one of these books in here it's that the, 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 there's a satisfaction in turning the final page yeah. and being like it's done yeah and now i now i'm going to go read another one and and look at another one
1: and also i mean i think like tv's kind of alchemy and there's it's the great shows are made in a specific time yes. in the lives of the people making it in the lives of the people watching it in the lives of the country in which it airs yeah. and like and you t- and you sort of port it into the present and even if all of the same people are involved, it's never going to be the same. You know, Gilmore Girls where Alexis Bledel is an adult is not Gilmore Girls right. where she's a teenager. X Files in the age of the internet is not you know X Files in the nineties.
0: In the age of MythBusters.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: We <laughs> could just ask the Mythb- Myth- MythBusters <laughs> guys and be like, "Is this real?" And they're like, "Oh, let's check it out." And, and Scully Mulder, Mulder turns out then they're, no, they're not. They're not aliens. <laughs> all
1: right, I think I saw a hand towards the back somewhere. Yeah, right, that da- back there.
0: Be loud. So, um, you talked about how cable TV provided sort of an initial breeding ground for premium TV. But as more and more people start
1: cutting the cord, especially the kind of people who watch premium TV, where does that take you? I mean, is it easy to discover a whole bunch of new shows and everyone subscribing to like twelve different streaming options instead of one? It's it's hard. It's hard, and like no one no one's watching the same thing. No one is watching the same thing on the same schedule also when you cut the cord you're sort of taking away a revenue stream from the business that gives you the shows that you enjoy right. and if like cable had been a la carte a re- like in, the day, in the days before Mad Men AMC probably would have ceased to exist sure. AMC only stuck around because of the cable bundle and so everyone had to subscribe to it and they got subscription fees and therefore it was around long enough for, for Josh Sapin to say let's go find a script and they found it and then they find this guy over here No, that's you, Joe. Yes. Um, So, and you know, shows. People say I'm going to wait for the show to be on Netflix or wait for the show to be on Hulu and I can binge it. But sometimes what happens then is the ratings are not high enough for it to survive to that point so yeah terriers is a great example of that that's this show that was on fx private eye show with donald logan michael raymond james that was just wonderful
0: ted griffin wrote that right
1: uh yeah ted griffin wrote that Yeah. nobody watched terriers and like and i see in ted griffin <laughs> and sean ryan's twitter feed yes no a few of you in the audience watched. <laughs> yes and literally nobody i mean you guys okay all right. Well, we'll do a sing-along of the theme after. But the point is, all the time, people will tweet at Sean Ryan, one of the executive producers of the show, who created The Shield, and say, man, I just found Terriers on Netflix. It's so awesome. Why isn't it around anymore? And Sean will write back, I'm glad you liked it. It's not around because you didn't watch it until it was on Netflix. There you go.
0: That may be the thing. That may be the one thing that, you know, this this idea of, of a generation of people who have now grown up with broadband access to internet and streaming and, and have never known a world that didn't exist without a DVR yep. or without time shifting in some ways that those that move toward streaming might be the thing that gets the universe to stop expanding and maybe contract a little bit
1: uh, perhaps it's
0: up to you guys uh, further?
1: Wait, one we, have more time. we have time for one more so if someone has a really good one ooh, ooh in the corner All right, in the corner over there you mentioned like the satisfaction of an ending. Do you think more limited series could like solve peak TV crisis? I, I think that's good. What we've what we're seeing now is shorter runs. We're seeing anthology shows because there's a lot of shows that like if Homeland ends after one season like with Brody blowing himself up that goes down as one of the great seasons of TV of all time if Dexter which I think I write about in the book runs two or three years Dexter goes down as an all time great show instead it stuck around for eight years and he became a lumberjack Um, so also
0: a true story coming this fall on Showtime lumberjack (laughs)
1: Um, so yeah there's like definite endings are good and it's the, the, eco, the TV business model was originally you, you run and you stay on the air as long as you are profitable. It doesn't matter if you've run out of story. You know The, the, the showrunners have lost had to argue with ABC to get them to let them end the show because they knew that they were going to run out of material eventually. You know, Battlestar Galactica was the same way with sci-fi and now there's more flexibility in that way but there's still a lot of shows that stick around. Uh, at TCA the other day, uh, Fox paneled the revival of Prison Break. Prison Break ran four years. They broke out of the prison at the end of the first one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, at a certain point, it's really not prison break anymore. It's just sort of like running around.
1: In, in one of the later seasons, they broke into a new prison just so they could break out of it.
0: Well, I think you know that, that gets to a good example of sort of like there there were thirteen episodes of Faulty Towers, and people yep. still talk about it, and as okay. if it was this legendary. And it, and it is. It's there are thirteen and he took great. Five episodes.
1: years off in between making them, he just made six. Said, "All right, I don't have any more ideas. Maybe I'll come back later." And then he did. And that was it.
0: And that was that was kind of how how the British model worked for a long time. And yeah. I think again with the explosion of the internet, explosion of blog culture, and writing about television and sharing ideas and all that stuff, you get something like Black Mirror or something that comes and it's this brilliant thing that all of a sudden we all know about. Yep. And, and it's another show I was in. You guys don't, <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, but uh, it's uh, that I think we I think we've learned something uh, about. Uh, we as a, a sort of American television learn learned something from, from the Brits in that sense of, like, that can work.
1: Yep. And I think TV... I remember, like, in the 90s when I started this, like, a lot of American TV producers were so envious of the British for that kind yeah. of freedom. And now American TV creators have virtually every freedom they ever could have imagined and some that they couldn't. Like, the idea that you're going to make a show and release the whole season... At once, and people can all watch it all at once and shut out the rest of the world to just enjoy, immerse themselves in the story you've told over a day. It's like that's, you know, that's a miracle. That's the tablets being brought down from the mountain. And
0: as to sort of wrap it all up, how do how do, how do you uh, how do you write about? It's full season of television coming out like without spoiling it for people like what what episode are you on of Stranger Things? Yeah. Well, I'm on 3 and I well I have to watch all of them because I have to write yeah. about it.
1: It's hard. I mean, you know, I sort of made my name writing like weekly episode recaps of things like Mad Men and uh, you can't really do that for streaming shows. I've tried a couple times like with Orange is the New Black. I would review it like two episodes a week for about 6 or 7 weeks after it debuted and by the time you get 3 weeks in all the commenters are saying, all right, I've forgotten every detail about the episode you're on because I watched it right. the weekend it debuted. And so eventually what I did was I just, I write two things. I write it before it debuts and then after I've seen all the episodes, I write a second thing with spoilers to varying degrees about what happened over the course of, of these episodes. And like, I just leave it there and it's like, you, re- you can read that whenever you're done. So whenever you finish Kimmy Schmidt season two, you can Excellent, read... Excellent, you guys. <laughs> You can read all about how like John Hamp's face is upside down in an episode, it spoiler um, and yeah, but you don't have to read it until then, and so like uh, the, I find those pieces like when we actually like analyze my traffic those pieces
0: that sounds painful
1: I yeah I hate I hate talking about traffic and brands and all these other things that are now part of the job but those pieces have, you know, people keep coming back to them months later years later because suddenly like someone finally watched the killing and they want to read what I had to say about the end of the killing yeah,
0: well we as I think human beings like to get together in groups and talk about things and share ideas and I think this has been a perfect example of that, on that note I will say thank you for being here and I'll say thank you to you for being here
1: And 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 I would like to say thank you to John Hamm for being here